Urban legends. Uh, we, we hear these things. Our grandmas forward us emails. Um, we hear about a so-and-so's friend or so-and-so's cousin or college roommate happened to them. And, and there's always some sort of ring of truth to it, just enough that we can pass it on. It's such a such kind of a crazy, audacious claim that we pass it on. Uh, and some of these that I've come across, that I've, I kind of kind of researched this week with the always trustworthy Wikipedia, uh, tells us that a couple of things. Uh, George Washington, our first president, a couple of things come to mind when you think about George Washington. And one of them is, is his teeth. And you may know that he had all kinds of, of problems, had teeth pulled and had like, like ivory teeth and like horse teeth and other people's teeth put in there as dentures. But the, the, the big one is, is that he had a set of wooden dentures. Well, there's, there are no wooden dentures that George Washington wore. Uh, another one is, is maybe your mom has told you not to swallow gum. Well, why are you not supposed to do that? Because your body can't digest it. A mom in the third row tells us that a body, your body can't digest it. And, and usually there's some sort of time associated with that, like seven years. Yeah, seven years is going to sit there. It's going to stick to your stomach. It's going to sit there. Well, well, gum actually never digests, but it passes. And so it'll, it'll pass eventually, usually in a normal cycle. So it's not going to be in there for seven years. Um, the, this is one that I always, always thought true, but then when I thought about it, I was like, oh, of course, of course that's not true. But the Great Wall of China. The only man-made structure you can see from space, right? Nope, that's not, that's not the case at all. If you could see the Great Wall of China, you could see interstates and bridges and different things like that. So you can't really see that uh, from space. The one that one that I remember and remember my uh, my family being very worried about was in the '90s. In the early '90s, there was this there was a thought that there was rumor going around that there was this gang, and uh, and this gang would initiate new members by having them drive around at night in a vehicle with the lights turned off. I've heard this, right? And, and if you flashed your lights at them to say, hey, turn your lights on, they would, like, kill you or something. Like, they would come after you. And it was this ridiculous thing. But, it, like, local news, it was, like, the lead story. Like, don't flash your lights or you'll die. You know, that kind of thing. And, like, governments wrote memos about it and, different, and all kinds of stuff. But there's no documented case anywhere of something like that happening. But, but urban legends like that get passed on. They kind of become ingrained in, in a kind of our, our narrative as a culture. Like, that's just something that we accept as truth. And no one really ever questions it. Because it's, it's close enough to, to fact that it's easy enough to believe. And, and with, our, with our faith, there's all kinds of urban legends. There's all kinds of things out there that we, get, we, we, we buy into that, that aren't true. And a lot of these things aren't, are pretty meaningless. They're pretty petty. They don't really, don't really matter that much. Um, but there's a few out there that are pretty, pretty big. And, and so we're, we're talking today about this urban, urban legend, this myth that God wants you to be happy. Uh, and, and we can immediately start to think about maybe that preacher you saw on TV or the, the guy with the really like painted on smile that's got books everywhere or, or, or the, the gal who, who does this or that but always talks about how if you come to church, if you give money, your life will be better, you'll be happy, things will, will be given to you from God. And it's, it's, it's a very um, difficult thing right here because it's very easy to miscommunicate what's, what's really going on that we're going to try to look at today. And it's also really easy for us to misinterpret what's going on, what they're trying to say. And, and so this morning, we're not about bashing other people. I'm not trying to say that I'm smarter than them. I'm just trying to say this is, this is where, the, where, the, where Scripture is and this is what, what's, what's going on and what I think they're trying to say. And, and so sometimes it's helpful to think of it with an analogy about your family. In everybody's family, there's, there's somebody you're pretty critical of, right? 
maybe it's a little brother, maybe it's a, a cousin who's, who's made some mistakes. You're, you're kind of critical of that, of that family member. Maybe you're that family member. But as soon as someone outside your family starts criticizing that person, things change, right? It's okay for you to, to criticize them, make fun of them, but as soon as someone from the outside comes in, you have a major problem with that. And so I think it's helpful for us to think of it in that terms, that, that we're not coming down, we're not judging other people who may have believed this, or, or maybe you come from a place where you really buy into this. We're not judging you or saying that, that you're a horrible person, your faith isn't legitimate. But what we're saying is, as one family member to another, let's have an honest conversation. And sometimes in that honest conversation, it's good to use humor. It's good to use, use humor a little bit. And there's, this, there's this book and a, a blogger that I, that, I, uh, that I follow named John Acuff. And John Acuff writes a blog called Stuff Christians Like. And it's a book, and you should go buy it. But uh, John Acuff kind of pokes fun at, at some of the things that we do in church. Uh, you know, one of his favorite ones is that, that he wants to make a shirt that says, I direct deposit my offering check. And so when the offering bag goes by, he doesn't feel guilty for not dropping something in. So that kind of stuff, right? Well, this is how he opens up his book. And I would like to wear a shirt that says that. But uh, this is how he opens up his book. He says, if you buy this book, God will make you rich. I was going to say if you read this book, but I'm pretty sure people who get it at the library won't receive the same amount of awesomeness as people who buy it. So if you're standing in the bookstore right now debating whether to buy this book, I guess the real question is, do you like money? and a really nice car, and having a better marriage, and polite children, and two well-defined eyebrows. If you answered yes to any of these questions, I'm not sure why you're still on the fence. And so maybe it's helpful to kind of laugh at ourselves a little bit. Maybe it's helpful to, to do that because if we really examine this urban legend, this myth, we see where it starts to fall apart really, really quick. Because it goes like this. If God wants me to be happy, and I'm not, then God failed. If God wants me to be happy and I'm not, then there's a problem. There's, there's two conclusions. God screwed up. God made a mistake, which I don't believe he does. Or your faith isn't legitimate. You don't believe enough. You don't believe the right way, whatever it might be. And so, so all of a sudden, things start to break down really quickly. Because we could go around this room, and we could hear stories of pain. We can hear about people who aren't happy, and legitimately so. We can hear about people who are struggling with things. We can hear about people who, who are having difficulty. And if there's any place where you should be able to be honest about that, it's church. And if there's any place where we're usually not honest about it, it's church. We come in, we put on the front, we, everything's great, everything's wonderful, we smile real big and, and kind of go about our day. But the reality is is that sometimes we're not very happy. And, and if, you, if you expand your scope a little bit, it becomes even more apparent. If you start to, think about, start to think about the 50 to 100 million Christians in China, you would realize that happiness isn't directly tied to faith. Now, why is that number so, va- so vague and broad? Well, it's vague and broad because Christians in China do so in secret. They practice their faith in secret. Underground churches, house churches, very, very clandestine. Because pastors there in China have been known to been, be arrested, to be sent to, to the labor camps, to be sent to prison for an undetermined amount of time. Being a Christian in China isn't easy to do because it's illegal. You think about faith communities, think about churches in places like Iraq or Palestine or Egypt where literally going to church is taking a risk. Literally going to church means that, that you may not make it home. We think about... Christians in the South, in places like Tuscaloosa, Alabama, 
places that were just been ravaged by, by tornadoes in the last week or so, and then literally hundreds of people dying. We think about Christians in Japan who are still struggling with the aftermath of a tsunami caused by an earthquake. Now, do the Christians there, do they understand it that, that God doesn't love them anymore? Do the Christians there understand it that their faith has, has broken down somewhere along, along the line because they're not happy? Because when we associate our faith with happiness, things fall apart really, really quick. That seems obvious. But despite all that, we still get it confused. We still hear that, that if we have faith, we'll have a, a, a new job waiting on us. That the bills will get paid. That, that new cars will show up. That all kinds of things will happen that are very circumstantial. We buy into that myth, that legend, because we say, well, God loves us. Of course He wants up, want, to, want us to be happy. Well, this morning I want to say that the happiness isn't the priority. Because when we go about God and, and following God and coming back to God, just in terms of Him making us happy, we're sitting in the wrong seat. We are coming to God saying, serve us, instead of, how can I serve you? How can I join what you're doing? We turn God into a, a cosmic ATM machine. We do the rituals, we know the codes, we know where to go, and, and if we do those things, we expect an, an equal return or a better return. It's like, it's like a Coke machine. We, we put in a dollar in our vending machine, and we hit, the, hit E4 and we get a Snickers. We, we turn God into something that he's not. But this is... This is nothing new. This has been a problem ever since the church existed. This, this misconception has been around for a while. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we see this. And we're going to go through a lot of scripture so you can follow on the screen or you can try to keep up. But in, in the letters to Timothy that Paul wrote, we have a, an experienced pastor writing to a younger pastor who's struggling. And so maybe you're a, you're a young leader or you're someone who's in a situation uh, at work or at home where you just kind of don't know where to go. Uh, the letters to Timothy are a great place to start. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, it says this, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Because no matter how crazy the thought is, we can always find people to support us, right? Like there's somebody with a blog out there that's going to support you. There's somebody out there that, 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 has, that gets an audience enough that he's going to agree with you or she's going to agree with you. You turn on CNN. You turn on the History Channel. No matter how crazy the, the, the idea is, you know, no matter how ridiculous, how flawed the argument is, there's always an expert, right? There's always someone there to defend it. It's very easy for us to find people that, that support our ideas because we will seek people out who tell us what we want to hear. I had a, I had a college professor who taught religion, and he was a very blunt guy. And he would, he would often say several times a semester that the easiest thing to do in America, in the local church, is to grow it. The easiest thing in America to do in the local church is to get people to show up. Why or how? By just telling them whatever they want to hear. It, it's very easy to, to, to surround ourselves with people who just agree with us, even if it's, a, if it's an incorrect idea or thought. But, but God doesn't love us so that we, He can make us happy. God doesn't, God doesn't reconnect with us so our happiness is ensured. That's, happiness is not the goal. Happiness is not the challenge put in front of us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we see what the challenge is. We see what the, what, what is, what is the calling that we all have in our lives. It says, but Jesus as he who called you, or I'm sorry, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. So happiness 
isn't the goal. Because I believe in certain circumstances, in certain situations, God absolutely does not want you to be happy. He prefers you to be unhappy. God prefers you to be unhappy when it causes you to sin. When your happiness causes you to sin, I think God's going to put up roadblocks. He's going to say no to things. Uh, in student ministry, I, I always have this, 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 uh, these fun moments where a student says something to me, and in my head I'm, I'm just hysterically laughing, but you can't say anything to them because that would be rude. And that's not what you're supposed to do, right? And so these students are often kind of the quirky kids, and I really like the quirky students. I like the quirky students because they, will, they are unpredictable. And they don't follow just what everyone else is doing. They make up their own decisions. They make up their mind uh, as they see it. And so I had this student in a previous ministry named Jessica. And Jessica might as well have been uh, sponsored by, by Ritalin. Like this girl was just a little, little nuts. And, and she, was a, she, was a, she was awesome. But she was just off the wall at times. And so we, we took a group of students down to Harlan, Kentucky, in this place called Cranks Creek, one of the poorest counties in, in the country. And we go down there, and we're going there this summer, and we go down there, and we work on homes. We take middle school and high school students, and we let them swing hammers, and we let them paint, and we let them climb on ladders, and all kinds of, of other things that have to be supervised, but they don't get to do very often, and they get to make a difference in a family's life. And it's, just, it's, it's, it's incredible. But it's a big undertaking. Logistically, it's a big job. And so... As this trip has gotten bigger and more churches have gotten involved, it's kind of taken on this camp feel. And if you've ever been to summer camp, you know when you roll up to summer camp, it's like kids are like going every different direction and people are freaking out and all excited and they've been in the car for way too long and they just can't wait to meet new friends or do whatever. Well, that's what happened. We had a 10-hour drive coming down from Illinois and we, we roll up and they want to get out of the cars. And so kids are going everywhere, and we're unloading luggage, and the, the guys were going to stay in one location, and the girls are going to stay about three miles up the road at another location. And it's, it's like 10 o'clock, it's pitch black, we're in the middle of nowhere. These kids haven't been there before, Jessica hasn't been there before, and Jessica gets impatient. And so Jessica is, has got her, her piece of luggage, and she is standing there next to me. Now you know when, when someone's standing next to you, you see them out of the corner of your eye, but you don't acknowledge them because you know they're going to ask you something that you don't want to really deal with at the time. Well, that's what Jessica is doing. I'm sitting there. I'm telling people where to go. And she just, she's sitting there. And she's got like her hand on her hip. And she's really, really annoyed at this moment. And so finally she says, Josh, listen, which is always a fun thing for a kid to say to me. Josh, listen, I'm going. I'm just going to walk. I'm going to go up the road and I'll meet you guys there. And I looked at her. I said, okay, go ahead. We'll see you when we get there. Oh, of course I didn't say that. Of course I didn't say that. I said, I said no, 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 no. You're going to go load up that piece of luggage, and you're going to get in the van, and you're going to be patient, and you're going to wait. You know, parents, you understand this as well. You know, your child is starting to make a decision. You intervene even though that decision they think would make them happy because you know it's not in their best interest. See, God doesn't allow us to just fall into sin. I think, we have to, I think God's putting up roadblocks to our sin. Because we may think it's what we want. We may think it's, it's going to make us happy. But God is not going to condone that at all. When I talk to students about relationships and dating and marriage and, and sex and, and everything else, I don't tell them, well, if you're already sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, just keep doing that. That's okay. That makes you happy. That would be a problem if I told them that. I don't tell them that, that, that dating is easy, staying pure is easy. I don't tell them if they stay sexually pure before they get married, married that their marriage is guaranteed 100% stress-free, no problems. I don't tell them that at all because, because it's difficult, because it involves sacrifice. Now, telling them what they want to hear would be an easy thing to do, but it b- wouldn't be right. 
So God doesn't want us to be happy when it causes us to sin, but God also doesn't want us to be happy when it's driven by our circumstances. You know, our circumstances dictate our mood a lot, don't they? Uh, last Friday, Heidi and I, we, we closed on a house here in Noblesville. We're, we're very excited about it. We're pumped. But getting to this point, I, I might have an ulcer. I, I, just, I just lost sleep, and I, might, I just was so nervous and so stressed about the whole process, even though there was no reason for me to be upset, even though there was no reason for me to be stressed. You know, I, I started thinking about all the what-ifs. You know, this is a happy time now, but, but what happens when something breaks? What happens when we have students over and they spill Kool-Aid on the white carpet? Which was, yes, that's a great decision. New homeowner, Josh. White carpet. What happens then? All of a sudden, am I, am I no longer happy? And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm very, very frustrated. Or maybe for you, you've had that, that buyer's remorse moment when you've driven a new car right off the lot and you could hear it losing value. You know, you could hear the price of that car just dropping. Or maybe you bought a new phone or a new computer or a new tablet and three months later they come out with a new one. You know, you know Cameron, our, 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 uh, our creative arts pastor, he, he, uh, he loves his iPhone 4. Like, it's kind of weird. Uh, but he absolutely loves his iPhone. He's waiting and waiting and waiting for that iPhone to come out. I think in June they're coming out with a new one. So I just, I'm just kind of waiting to see him you know, be crushed by that whole experience and seeing something new come out. But we have that moment where we're kind of chasing something. You know, we, we want something to go well, and when it's going well, we're happy, and when it's not going well, we're not. Because chasing happiness, pursuing happiness, usually makes you miserable. Usually it makes you miserable, because we can look at the prodigal son in, in, in the story that Jesus told. This, this guy who went to his dad says, give me half my inheritance now, because I'm taking off. And he goes and he blows it, and he pursues everything that, that he wants to pursue, and he ends up living in a, in a pigsty, eating their food. Because when we chase happiness, when we just pursue that, eventually it's not going to end well. And so, so if God is going to put up those roadblocks, if God is going to say, you know what, it's not about your circumstances, it's not about just what you want, especially if it causes you to sin, that's not, that's not the important thing. That means we're going to have to make some sacrifices. That means we're going to have to give up some things. Uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, did it just that. See, before he was converted, before he had this incredible experience with God, he was climbing the career ladder. In his organization, he was a rising star. He was probably getting promoted over people. He was getting awesome assignments. And, and he had this incredible future in front of him. And all of a sudden, God comes into his life in a powerful way. And he gives it all up, walks away from it, enters into this life where he travels all over the world, which might sound appealing until you think about how you would have to travel in that day setting up churches in hostile areas, being thrown in jail, being beaten, being threatened, and having to make a living building tents. Not exactly a glamorous life. In Philippians chapter 4, he kind of reflects on this in verse 12. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. The secret of being content, that's huge. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through Christ who gives, gives me strength. See, he understands pain, he understands suffering, but he understands the most important thing, that apart from God, he's nothing. That all of his energies apart from God are wasted. Because if you're expecting that, that following Christ, making a decision for Christ, changing your life in such a way that's radical like that, is going to solve all your problems, you're going to be disappointed. It's going to solve the problem. It's going to reconnect you with God. It's going to repair that relationship. 
but it's probably not going to fix all your other problems. Sure, God can do that. He's, he can do whatever he wants. And there's countless stories of people, people's lives turning around circumstantially after they believe. But there's no guarantee for that. There's nothing in the scripture that says that following me makes life easy. In fact, we get this confused, but so do the disciples. Because in the months and weeks and days leading up to the cross, all those around Jesus were expecting this ascending rate of Jesus. That he was rising to power. He was rising to the throne. He was going to take his rightful place and establish things in the way that they wanted things to be established. He's going to make things right here and now and punish the bad guys. All during that time, Jesus is descending towards the cross, descending towards death, serving more, becoming more humble, emptying himself more and more and more to the point where he can say, God, I don't want to go through with this, but I will if that's what you want. Because in following Jesus, we have to understand that God is much more interested in blessing you. And blessing doesn't mean happy, it means more than happy. It transcends it. And that's a hard thing to get our minds around because we are confused about blessing as well. And I have an analogy that helps me understand it. Maybe it help you understand it. The dad's in the room. The dad's in the room that have daughters. There's going to come a day where some punk kid asks to marry your daughter. Right? Maybe this has happened to you. Maybe you know what that was like. You remember that awkward conversation. And that punk kid's going to come to you and he's going to ask for your blessing. And if you give that blessing, you are not guaranteeing happiness. You are not guaranteeing marital success. You're not guaranteeing an easy life. You're not guaranteeing any kind of circumstantial, you know, joy or, or anything. You're not guaranteeing anything like that. What you are saying is that you're coming alongside them, that you support them, that you're standing with them, that, that, they, that your family is now a part of their family, that there's this connection now. There's this solidarity that you approve because when God blesses us, it is not about ensuring, ensuring happiness or guaranteeing a life without pain. What it is is God saying, you're now part of my family. I approve of you. You can come in and I stand next to you. See, see when we're blessed, that doesn't mean that we're happy. It means that we're not alone. It means that we're promised God. It means that we're, we're with him. So what? who is blessed? Who are the people that is blessed? Because... God doesn't want you happy. He wants you blessed. In Matthew chapter 5, we see a list of those who are blessed. And it's not a, it's not a list that we aspire to. Matthew chapter 5 says that the poor in spirit are blessed. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Because our, our, our thinking, our expectation has to change. And we have to ask ourselves the question, is Jesus enough? If you removed all the stuff in your life that gives you joy, is Jesus enough? And that's a hard question if we really carry it out. If we really think all the ramifications of that through, that's a hard question. Is Jesus enough? Because our, our thinking has to, be, has to change radically. In Psalm 37, verse 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. In Matthew 6, it says something similar. It says, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, our thinking and our mindset and our heart's desires have to change. They have to move from our own to God's. We have to line ourselves up with the God where we're no longer expecting Him to serve us and we're looking for ways to serve Him. We're looking for ways to join the work that He's already doing and carrying out. 
We're seeking blessing because Jesus is enough and realizing that we're not promised happiness. It's hard. It's sometimes very difficult. It's very painful. But the promise in all of this isn't that God wants to make you happy. It's that God wants to bless you and that God wants to bring you into his family and say that that you are his. Because happiness pales in comparison to that. Let's pray. Father, we, we have done nothing to deserve this. Lord, we've done everything to not deserve it. Father, we, as we, we think about that question, are you enough for us? Is, is, is your son and his sacrifice and the way he overcame death in the empty tomb, is that enough? And Lord, we buy into the fact of this lie, this myth, this legend that says that following you ensures that we will not have pain, yet we experience pain. We buy into this, this that tells us that, that we will always be happy even though we're not. And so, Lord, let us, not, let us no longer believe that, that we have somehow made a mistake or that God has somehow made a mistake, but realize that we're looking and judging Him on the wrong scale. The God, that we, we switch seats and let you return to your rightful one and allow, allow us to serve you instead of expecting you to serve us. Father, we, we thank you for blessing. We thank you that you call us your own. And we just ask that you would show us in a new, fresh way what that might mean. Lord, we thank you for all this. It's in your son's name. Amen.